Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, so um, we have been doing a, um, a kind of a series in, in the book of James for the last few weeks. And uh, in fact, the, we're doing the series into the new year as well because we've got various breaks. We're taking another short break in James today because uh, Steve Gould, who was down to preach today, was he was all ready and raring to go. Um, basically, their whole family's come down with some kind of bug. They've been sick and vomiting. And I think it began with Noah at the beginning of the week and it was Steve this morning. So... Um, he texted Phil and I at 7.15 and said, should I still come? And we said, no. Um, and then Phil called me and said, what are you going to do? Uh, and I said, I don't know. Anyway, the God is good, isn't he? So uh, maybe I can just come up with lots of phrases. Um, thankfully, I'm not going to come up with lots of phrases because it, uh, as you will uh, as a church, you, you'll, you'll know that one of the things that I do uh, on a daily basis, I, 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 I rise early and I pray and I have a bit of a devotion. Um, and so I'm just going to share with you a little bit of what came out when I um, went to the scriptures this morning. I'm currently in the book of Zechariah, which is a, it's a great, I mean, I mean, I know if you've never heard of it and you think, really, it's a great book. Zechariah is a great um, uh, minor prophet as they're called minor not because the others are more important but maybe they're just shorter books and um, God really spoke to me through that um, this morning and I'm just going to share some of that with you today and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping because I'm only sharing something that I myself only worked through this morning that I won't be long I'm hoping please Lord I won't be long um, and then we'll finish this morning with uh, praying together and, and a song together so I'm going to be reading from, uh, sorry Martin, I didn't even tell you what the, the passage is, um, Zechariah chapter 2, just the first five verses. <laughs> and, and on this particular occasion I'm using the NIV UK, although there are so many different versions of the Bible, even I'm getting confused, so anyway. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Father, we do thank you so much for the sense of your presence with us, Lord. It's an amazing reality that when the people of God gather and we focus on you, that you speak to us. It's amazing that that happens. And Father, it's amazing that every time we gather uh, to worship, every time we open up our hearts a little bit, you come, you speak, you act, 
You move, you give us a different perspective, you bring a healing, you bring an understanding, you do so much, and we're so grateful. And Father, in these few moments, as we look at your word, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen. So Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In order for us to understand these verses, we must understand a little bit of the background of the book of Zechariah. So Zechariah, as I described, as I said, was a prophet. He was a prophet that came at the end of um, the time where Israel had been taken into captivity into Babylon. So Israel was an independent nation and God was prophesying over it because of its uh, idolatry, because of its rebellion against him. He was going to send Israel into captivity um, into a place called Babylon with the Babylonians. And many of the people of Israel didn't believe that. There there was almost like two prophetic schools of thought. One was, no, we're not going to go into uh, captivity because God is going to bless us. And in two years, the Babylonians will be gone and all of that. And there was another school of thought, which Jeremiah kind of led, which was, no, you're going to be going into uh, Babylon. You're going to go into captivity. When you're there, seek the peace of the city. Work with it. You're going to be there for 70 years. It's a punishment, but actually God is going to come and restore you. That was the message that Jeremiah brought to the people. And the people did not accept his message. So I feel sorry for Jeremiah. There are moments he's beaten. There are moments he's thrown into a pit. There are moments where they kind of treat him really badly because they don't like what he's saying. And anyway, as Jeremiah was the prophet of the Lord... The only evidence that what he said was true was the fact that it happened. It wasn't that there was any kind of other proof. In the end, Israel did go into Babylon as captives. And they were there for 70 years. While they're in Babylon, that's where, if you ever know it, the song, By the Rivers of Babylon, which Boney M did a number of years ago, um, it actually comes from this. By the Rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, what did we do? We wept. Why did we weep when we remembered Zion? Yeah, now I I love that song and a few of us know it. Some of us think, what is he talking about? But if you go onto YouTube, Boney M by the Rivers of Babylon, you can get that song. Anyway, that was the position of Israel. And then 70 years later, um, Babylon is is overthrown um, and uh, the Persians come, they take over. And for whatever reason, the Persians are very... They're more honouring and respectful of all the nations that they have taken captive of their religions. And so what they do is they allow some of the Israelites to leave where they're in captive and go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And that's, oh my goodness, and that's what happens here. They are going back to rebuild Jerusalem and Zechariah is among them. Now, there's only a few that are going back, and uh, when they get back there, there's, there's a real kind of uh, battle going on. They have opposition. Uh, the person who first leads them back in, in, if you like, 536 BC, I think, is a guy called Ezra. He's a priest. He leads them back. They start trying to rebuild the wall, and for the first six years, it's kind of on and off. They're managing to do it. They're not managing to do it. And then in about... 
about and then at in about a, a BC 530 BC, I think what happens is um, Nehemiah. No, the, the rebuilding of the wall stops completely. So they then have ten years where nothing happens. And I, I say that because I want us to understand. For six years, it's a bit on and off, and for ten years, nothing happens. But they prophetically were sent back to rebuild the wall. So for sixteen years, not a lot is happening. And sometimes God's purpose takes longer than we think. Because when we think about 16 years now, you can go, oh, that's not a great, that's not a long time. But you just think about 16 years. Beacon's been going for 12 years. And some of us are thinking, why haven't we grown yet? Why, where is the big promises that God has? Why, 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 why? Some have left because they're like, oh, maybe nothing's quite happening there. So for 16 years, having gone back with this idea of the promise to rebuild the city, they don't get to rebuild the city, and it's partly because of the opposition that comes to them. Yeah, It's not the promise, they're aware of the promise, but the opposition comes, and it's difficult. And then enters Zechariah, and if you like, his I wouldn't say his sidekick, his contemporary Haggai, and they both begin to prophesy into the moment. And it's interesting, the first thing that Haggai prophesies is this. He says, he says to the people, you say to yourselves, the time hasn't come to build the temple of the Lord. It's almost like the people had to find a reason to justify why the fact that it wasn't happening. And so their reason was, oh, it's not yet time to build the temple. At this moment, we're meant to be building our houses. And Haggai says, no, no, that's wrong. And Zechariah joins him in beginning to prophesy about um, the rebuilding of the temple and all of those things. And that's the kind of the backdrop to this. Because this then takes it beyond that. And Zechariah has a number of visions. I think he has eight visions And this is one of those visions where he sees a man with this measuring line. Yeah, he sees a man with a measuring line. And it's interesting, the man with the measuring line is going to measure Jerusalem. That's what he's going to do. He's going to measure how wide and how long is it. He wants to know the detail. Now, when I think about a measuring line and that kind of thing, I think about some of us are really, we're detail people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, hands up here if you're a detail person. Uh, higher, higher, because some of you are real detail people. Don't tell me you're not. <laughs> I know you're detail people. You think about the dates and the times. You think about the this and the that. You plan, you organize, you order. And it's almost like this young man is about to do that around Jerusalem. He is about to measure Jerusalem. How long is it? How wide is it? They've rebuilt the wall. What does it look like? He's a person of detail and of planning. And we know, don't we, that God likes detail. There are elements where you read, you read in Exodus when God tells them how to build the tabernacle and how to build all those things. He's very detailed. Make it four and a half cubits wide. No more. And you're like, oh, okay. So there are some times when God speaks in real detail. But equally... You see in this passage, this this young man is about to go in this vision to measure Jerusalem. And 
an angel is told, run and tell him not to do it. Run and tell him not to do it. Because whilst there is a moment for detail, there are also a moment where we don't want to have the detail. Because the detail can become the limitation of what we do. They had rebuilt the walls, but the Jerusalem rebuilt was actually quite small. It wasn't a massive place. It was actually quite a small place that they had rebuilt. In the time that Jesus walked the earth, which was some hundreds of years later after this, Jerusalem had outgrown the Jerusalem that they had written about here. It was quite a small place. It wasn't a massive place. And sometimes we have to be careful about measuring. We have to be careful about counting. We have to be careful about weighing because God isn't always like that. Sometimes that's what limits him. There are other phrases that God uses. God uses phrases like this when he says to Abraham, remember Abraham had no children when God gives him this promise, but the promise God gives to Abraham is this. You are going to have descendants as the sand on the seashore. I.e., it's going to be limitless. It's going to be, you're not going to be able to count. Now, I wonder what Abraham must have thought at that moment. I'm going to have descendants as, as, as limitless as the sand on the seashore, yet I don't even have a son. How, how's that going to work? Or he talks about, you know, your descendants will be as the stars in the sky. He can't count the stars in the sky. There are moments, or the numbers of, or Jesus talks about, you know, uh, God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Now, obviously, if it's my head, he could count them. Yeah, you could count them. You wouldn't be able to count all the little follicles, but you could count that, well, he's got about 100 hairs there. But in reality, you can't count the hairs on your head. That's the whole point. The point is that sometimes what God is going to do is without limit. So don't limit it by bringing a measure in line. Don't limit it by saying, no, actually, it's going to be this, this, and this. Because if you limit it, that will be the limit of the blessing. That's often how it is. If you limit it, it's the limit of the blessing. Now, what God says is, no, Jerusalem is to be a city without walls. It's going to be a city without walls. Why is it going to be a city without walls? It's not going to be a city without walls because they've kind of decided, oh, this is a new way of doing cities. We don't have walls anymore. That's not why it's a city without walls. It's a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals. There is something that God is going to do which is going to extend this city beyond which they can count. And that extension, it's really interesting when it talks about people and animals. People, you kind of understand animals. Why is he talking about animals? I think what he's talking about there is the economic and the social blessings of the city. Yeah? There's going to be loads of people, but there's also going to be loads of animals. And to some degree, we might not like this, to feed the people. That's why it's there. It's going to be an economically busy boisterous place and the growth will reflect that now the walls that Nehemiah built through opposition they were carefully rebuilt but they were never going to be enough and it was almost like God wants them to know very early on the walls that you've just built will never be enough to contain what I am about to do 
It will be a city without walls. A city without walls. God wanted them to be aware of it. God wants us to be aware of it. And in fact, he says, it's going to be a city without walls, but I will be, he will be, a wall of fire around it. And it's interesting to note, why do cities have walls? You know, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not really, I don't know anything about land or cities or how you make them. But I can hazard a guess, yeah? I, I imagine part of the reason cities have walls is for protection. It keeps people out, yeah? It keeps the enemy outside. It keeps those you don't want on the outside, and conversely, it protects those on the inside. It's a form of protection, But also, it's probably just a good boundary. You understand where your limits are. These are the limits of the city. We don't go beyond here. This is who we are. These are the limits. And God says, you're not going to have walls. You're not going to have physical walls. But what you are going to have is me as your wall around you. And it it talks about the wall of fire. And you'll know that in the Bible, on many, many occasions, when it talks about fire, it's talking about the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is the Holy Spirit will be your protection. The Holy Spirit will be your wall. That's what you'll need. Whatever the physical wall was intended to do, God himself would do. God would protect. God would give you your boundaries. God would make it clear. The thing with having God as your wall is there is no, then, physical limit to the expansion of that city. None whatsoever. Because God is around it. And more than that, more than the fact that God is around the city without walls, he says his glory will be within. His glory will be within. And what that's talking about is this idea of the very presence of God will be at the heart of this city. The very presence of God. And it's the presence of God, as you know, if you're a Christian, that distinguishes the Christian from the non-Christian. It's not just your knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's done, but it's it's through that knowledge, it's through understanding who Jesus is, it's through accepting who Jesus is, that you can then experience for yourself the very presence of God. You can come into relationship with God. It's not that the relationship is through some rules or something like that. No, it's personal. I can know God for myself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It brings me into relationship with God. So the presence of God is in me. Yeah, that changes everything. When you have the presence of Almighty God, the Holy God within you, it changes everything. It changes how you view stuff. It changes your attitude. It's glory within. It, it defines you. It changes you. The church is not just an organisation of people setting about doing good things or gathering together to make friends and be a bit of a club. The church is the outward expression of the presence of God. Something he does that we can't do. There is blessing. There is faithfulness. There is joy, as we talked about this morning, as we heard this morning in worship. Some people can 
be really joyful, but in their hearts they're not joyful. But for the Christian, joy should come from within. Because the very presence of God dwells within you. Your joy should come from within. So he talks about this wall of fire. You're a city without walls. There's no limit to the growth. There's no limit to your expansion. There's a wall of fire around you. It's the Holy Spirit. The presence of God. Its glory is within. Isn't it amazing that God would connect his glory to a community of people? I think that's amazing. If you think about how we sometimes think about the church and then you understand how God thinks about the church. Oh, my glory's among them. We can be a bit embarrassed by the church. We can be a bit like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, what kind of church is that? Oh, you go there. Yeah, I do. We can be embarrassed about the church. God is not embarrassed by the church. God loves the church. God God identifies with the church. And we don't just read it here. You read it in the New Testament, don't you? When when, uh, the Apostle Paul is persecuting the church and he has that encounter on the Damascus Road with, with Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't say to him, why are, you, why are you hassling those people over there? Leave them alone. No, he says, why are you persecuting me? I'm sure that was part of the reason the Apostle Paul could not get his head around it. That God would connect himself, identify himself so much with this group. The church wasn't any more loved then than it is now. But God loves the church. God's in the church. So we have this, this, this picture that Zechariah wants to paint to the people of Israel at a time when they are small, at a time when they are downtrodden, at a time when they face lots of opposition, they've rebuilt some small walls. And his word to them is, no, this is going to be a city without walls. This is not just about you in this small place. I mean, it goes on to talk about, in a few verses later, um, there's this promise of God defending his people. And it says, for whoever touches you, touches the apple of his eye. Isn't that amazing? Whoever, he said, the, the prophet saying, whoever touches you, touches the apple of his, heart, of his eye. Touches the one that he loves more than anyone. Touches the people that he, he is for more than any people. The apple of his eye. It gives a small indication of how Jesus, how the Father views the church, views you and views me. Again, a couple of verses later, it says this. I will live, God says, I will live among you. I will live among you, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I wonder what they thought when they heard that. Because in their minds, other nations were the, were the enemy. They were the people that were always attacking them. And now God seems to be saying that people will come from many nations and will be joined and will become his people. And actually that, that proved to be true. That's how we are Christian. 
Because most of us here, if not all of us, are not Jews. We were not raised as part of the chosen people of God. We have gotten through another route. We have gotten in a different way. So you have this picture that he paints. And I just want to bring, really, two, just two points of application, and then we're going we're gonna to respond in prayer and, and worship. The first is I, I want to make an application about our church, and then I want to make, make an application about us as individuals. Firstly, about our, uh, our church. Uh, a couple of years ago, I can't remember, well, I remember where we were, but I, I can't remember all the detail. I do remember we went through a moment where we began, and you, you wouldn't have known this, but in the office we were talking about whether or not we want to count the numbers. Yeah? I came from a church where we counted numbers. Yeah? And I did lots of counting. And I had all the numbers of all the people, of all the stuff. And I remember... Uh, this coming up in the office and I remember uh, uh, talking to Bill and Jen about it or, or I don't know if they heard about it and, and, and they went away and they were really praying about that because uh, they weren't into so much counting the numbers and Jen brought this word she said I saw Beacon as a huge church absolutely filled with people of the service someone approached me and said how many people there were and I said I don't know I've never counted and then Bill brought a word around there's a passage in Samuel which talks about David taking a census where he begins to count the people how many people have we got in the army how many of them are there he does that he does that he counts the army and Joab his his if you like his army officer says to him don't don't do this do not count the numbers that that's not a good idea Anyway, he goes ahead and he counts them and then God comes to him and says, you should never have counted the numbers. You should never have counted. And actually he's judged as a result. And there is something about when I was just reading that passage this morning, I was reminded of that word. I'm reading a passage about God saying this is going to be a city without walls and he's going to fill it and it's almost like there's limitless. You don't know how many people are going to be in it. And then I'm reminded of that, that word. Oh, it's going to be a huge church. You're not going to know how many people are going to be in it. And I'm reminded when, when it said that the, um, the angel goes to the young man. He runs to him and says, basically, don't count, don't, count, don't measure, don't do that. I don't know why God says don't measure. It does limit him. I haven't, from this morning to now, had enough time to think about why do you not want us to measure, to count? But sometimes God does not want us to measure. He doesn't want us to count. And then I was reminded of one of the words that Julian Adams brought to us 10 years ago. And he says, God says, don't despise that which is currently small. And it's interesting it's the book of Zechariah that talks about don't despise the day of small beginnings in chapter 4. So just a couple of chapters later. As the kingdom is often designed to be concealed in that which is small, but eventually becomes big and influential. He says, Beacon will be a big church, not a little church. And I say that not because I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Beacon's going to be a big church, but I don't want us to limit what Beacon might be because of what we see. 
Don't limit it. Don't limit it because God can do things that we, we were saying earlier, God can do things that we can't do. Yeah, simple. God sees things that we can't see. We're not to despise the day of small beginnings. I talked to you earlier about the fact that it was 16 years between the Israelites first going back to Jerusalem, beginning to build the wall, and the wall actually being built. And you want to imagine for those 16 years what those people felt when when it all came crashing down. It didn't work. It didn't happen. Opposition came. They couldn't keep going with it. That wasn't an easy time. We are to keep trusting and believing him to fulfill every promise that he has made. As a church, we are to trust and believe him to fulfill every promise. We can't fulfill his promises. Yeah? You can't fulfill them. And then I want to talk about you. Not you personally. But us. In relation to this passage. And I would say this. Don't overplan your life. Don't overplan your life. Don't write down all your life goals and go, right, yeah, I've got a sheet of paper tucked away somewhere which tells me everything that's going to happen in my life. Don't, don't do that. Because God doesn't do that. And the truth is you don't know. You just don't know. The problem when you overplan your life, the problem when you are too detailed about what you want to do, the problem with it is when you don't reach those goals, you can lose faith. You can stop trusting God. You can stop believing him because, oh my goodness, God said to me that by the time I was 25, I was, I was going to have played for England. And I've not even played a professional football match in my life. Yeah. Because if that were really my case, if that was really the case, by the time I was 25, I was going to play for England, and I don't play for England by the time I'm 25, I'm going to begin to question, oh, is, is he real? I, I thought I'd heard him and I hadn't heard him. Don't overplan. Remember those big promises. Remember the Abraham kind of promise. Sand and the seashore. Oh, you're not going to be able to count it, Abraham. Yeah? Now, Abraham never sees the fulfilment of that promise. Yeah? But that promise is fulfilled. You couldn't count what came from Abraham. So don't overplan. In Matthew, it tells us we should seek first the kingdom. It's really simple. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what happens when you do that? Everything else is added. It tells you what your priorities should be. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else that you need will be added. We can be so busy building the walls of our own lives, making sure everything neatly adds up, building our own protection, making it all work, making it make sense. Yet when we do that, we can limit God. Because you can only build things to a certain size. Do you know what I mean? You've, not, you've just not got that ability to build massive. None of us have. Lally talked about we can't even save ourselves, let alone anyone else. We need to learn to trust God's promise of protection, provision and presence. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will be with you. 
He wants to be both a wall of fire around you and also presence to dwell within you. And he'll take you on that journey. You can't see everything. But he has much, much more than you realise for you. Much more. Our defence in this life is him. As I said earlier, whoever touches you, touches the apple of his eye. That's his attitude towards you. You're the apple of his eye. Now, you, I'm sure there are loads of questions over, well, what do we do, plan, how do we, what about this, what about that? There is an element where the way that we deal with those things, I mean, humanly, we want to know things. Spiritually, we want to trust him. I, I get it. Yeah? What I often do now is I, I simply, I, I pray the very practical things that bother me. I pray about them. And I say that, um, not meaning to, um, you know, treat you as bays, but I realise some people don't do that. You don't, you don't pray the practical. You can pray the practical. You can pray the very things that bother you in your life. You can pray for them. You can pray about them. You can bring them to him. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is able. So the way we're going to respond this morning is we're going we're gonna to pray. And what I want to encourage you to do is just to turn into twos and threes. I hope this doesn't, I don't mean to embarrass anyone. I really don't want to do that um, or expose anyone. And uh, if you don't want to pray, you don't have to. But I want to encourage you just to get into twos and threes and just, just to pray. And you're going to pray, um, yeah, whatever's on your heart. You just turn, you say, look, what would you like prayer for? Yeah, there's no point in me telling you. you. You know what you want prayer for. You know what's going on for you. And so we're just going to do this for a few minutes. Um, let's just move and do that and uh, um, let's ensure that everyone who wants to be in a group can be in a group. Is that okay? Father, I, I, want, to, I want to thank you to us as a local church, but also to every individual here, people who've known you, walked with you for, for years, Lord, I, I know you've made promises to them. I know there are things that you've told them, things that you've said to them and that you've confirmed again and again. And Father, I want to pray that in this moment, uh, those promises will be rekindled in the sense that we will not limit you. We won't, we won't decide that they're not going to happen. Oh, it's not happened up to now. It's not going to happen. But rather, Father, we would just go back to trusting you. And um, although it sounds easy, it's a really difficult thing to do, to trust you. To, to trust you is to actively hold on to the promise, while actually maybe not doing anything natural about it. But you're actively in your heart. You're holding on to the promise. You're connecting promise to faith. You're still believing it. You're still trusting for it. And God, I, I pray that for some of us today where we have allowed promises to become dormant. We've decided that they're not going to happen. We've decided that, oh no, it, that's not, that was, I missed it. Uh, God, on many of those, they've not missed it. It's just that your time is different to our time. Uh, but Lord, your word tells us that you're never, you're never too late. You're never slow. Uh, actually, you come just at the right time. 
And so, Father, I, I, I pray for that. But I pray also for those who maybe they, they've never had a promise from you. They've never realized, oh, God makes promises to individuals. And Father, your biggest promise is the one of salvation. That if we call upon your name, we can know you. We can come into relationship. I pray, Father, that there'll be those, even this morning, that find that. We ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. So we're going to sing together uh, this song, which is a kind of a, an appropriate prayer to kind of finish our time together. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.